This is ND Insider's Pot of Gold. Now, with all things Notre Dame football, here's Tom Noy, Mike Berardino, and Austin Huff. It's a Wednesday edition of Pot of Gold. Mike Berardino, Tom Noy from the WNDU studios, your home to countdown to kickoff. Don't look now, but the 2023 Notre Dame football season is at its halfway point. The Irish reached that at 5-1 and one following Saturday night's game at number 17 Duke when Duke was 17 when they played. Notre Dame now up to number 10. 21-14, the Irish, everything they couldn't do the week before at home against Ohio State, they were able to do somewhat down at Duke. Last second win, Audric Estime goes in from 30 yards out when everybody on the Notre Dame sideline was yelling, take a knee, take a knee, take a knee. Hey, Mike, guess what? People are listening to the Pot of Gold podcast. You know how, you know how I know? Our little reenactment yeah. of the headphones yeah. and, the, and what's going on. What happens at Notre Dame this week? <laughs> they mic'd up the coaches in the, in the Where did they get that idea? I wonder where that idea came from. Producer Jerry uh, <laughs> deserves a, a big uh, boost here because um, you know, we didn't expect that, that you would uh, chop that thing up, and you did it, you it did was it too well. good. It was, it was too good of a moment. It was, was. Uh, it was the highlight or low light. I'm not sure which of my professional career. It was a lot of fun. We had, we, we were, but I think it's important. I'm not. It doesn't matter now, but but I, I I'm I'm guessing some uh, if if indeed if people on the inside the Goog took any umbrage, uh, I'm not aware of it. But you're right. It, it's very. It, I, I, first thing I thought of mm-hmm. was uh, we were we were dramatizing <laughs> a bad channel of communication, not necessarily our interpretation of what Notre Dame how well, Notre Dame was communicating right. against Ohio State. That we were just trying to show people how chaotic it can be, but. It, whatever the case, we had also said it needed to be more like mission control, real calm. And don't go, what do you have there? There was <laughs> some mission control there. Mission control. Who do we have? Who beat a zone? Who do we have a zone beater? Are we gonna go Rico now? And, and it was like, it, oh golly, guys! Good job. That, Good yeah. job, guys. Good job. <laughs> Let's so win the start orderly. podcast. Let's Here's win this my podcast. conspiracy theory. <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I'm gonna put it out there. We'll run with it. All right, I go. So I, do, I just. I can't believe they were that poised in that moment with all that stuff. What do you have there, Marty? Got 37 the line. We're going to go 37. Yeah, 37 the line. You want to be realistic. I, I think they dubbed it. I think they went back and dubbed it. And, right. and it was a wonderful undertaking. I mean, I mean if, you don't, if you watch that and don't get chills, whether you love them or hate them or you just got to observe them, you're, you're, you're not alive. It was really well done. Uh, but, you know, sometimes on the back end, Post production, you got hey, Marty. Like, can like, you just uh, come on here because you were a little too excited there, and uh, and it, it, it just it was beautiful and, and Stucky, you know, freak Enrico Flores. It, it was really good stuff. I love the subtitles, but uh, whether they dubbed it or not, well done. I'm standing on the sideline down there at Wallace Wade Stadium as Notre Dame starts their drive on the five. They get pushed back to the three after yet another penalty. Are we going to talk about them? Maybe we'll talk about penalties. I don't know. And <laughs> I I don't think they have any chance down there as as Sam Hartman's trying to figure out a way, especially when it's fourth and 16 and the entire field opens up and you're sitting there, you're like, he's got to run it. He's got to run it. He's got to run it. And then not only does he run it, he makes it. And a couple plays later, they're in the end zone. And it was just, it was such a swing just as it was against Ohio State when they have the ball with four minutes of play and then they give it back with 85 seconds, 86 seconds. 
and Ohio State goes down the field, the Irish go down the field, they find a way to, to, to score that touchdown. They move to 5-1. Two very emotional, very gut-wrenching, to an extent, games in the last two weeks. Now you got to go play another ranked team in Louisville. So the, what allowed Notre Dame to finish that drive, to finish that game the other night at Duke? What were they able to do better that they didn't do against Ohio State? Well, we, we've ta- it's been an issue, a talking point. At times, they've been so good in the two-minute offense, uh, often needing only 30 seconds to zoom down the field against inferior opposition late in the first half. Why don't they show more tempo throughout the game? Um, and that wasn't a pure tempo uh, drive, mm-hmm. but uh, what it seems like uh, maybe heightened con- you know, concentration. It certainly uh, uh, shortens the options on the defensive side in terms of uh, substitutions, and everybody's got so many sub packages. You kind of lock them into a certain spot, and then you keep going. Um, but really, it just came down to with a very shortened menu of receiving options. Oof. My goodness. Mitchell Evans' game of his life, uh, two straight games of his life. I mean, he just gets better and better. But, you know, third and 10 from your own 16, and Hartman just flicks it across the middle. You know, boom, and and, and Evans, 19 yards. I mean, that's that's huge. Um, I love Mitchell Evans earlier after the in the postgame when he made the one-handed catch where he tipped it to himself. He was in such a zone. He had no idea how he made that play. He's like, I don't know if the the defender tipped it. Like, like who tipped it? And I said to him, I said, you tipped it to yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, I, first I have to I have to say I apologize because I did not in preseason see this coming from Mitchell Evans. Like he he's making a lot of guys he's making a lot of people forget about Michael Mayer the way he's played the last couple of weeks. I, I, he's been well, really good. Well, now that's, that's that's I said just a couple of weeks. That's strong words in this stretch. Uh, you know, Jared Parker had only been here a few weeks. I think uh, in in the spring of. Uh, 22, and I remember him saying that uh, he used something like a elite downfield ball skills uh, for Mitchell Evans. He was just getting to know the tight ends that he was going to be dealing with. He had Michael Mayer already, but he saw something in, in Evans then. I mean, Mitchell Evans is a freshman, I remember. Uh, got a tar- he was ejected for targeting as uh, well blocking at, at Virginia Tech. It's pretty hard to do, but uh, he was you know, whatever the assignment is, he's going to uh, be ferocious about it. And he's played through a lot of injuries and um, you know, missed half the season last year with with a foot fracture. And um, he's he just gets better and better. He's got he's got he's got those ball skills. You'd never think that he was a quarterback in high school the mm-hmm. way he just uh, you know creates space down the middle of the field and and seems to hold on to everything. Um, he's a he's a trusted weapon for Sam Hartman. Uh, Rico Flores on that same drive freaking. Rico Flores, I think that's how he has to be <laughs> yeah, that's referred right. to all times now. Freak, freak and Rico. Freak and Rico. And, uh, and he, he got his freak on a 24-yard uh, catch and was bowling people over. Uh, and at, at that point, you felt like they get down to the 41 um, with a minute 17, I think. Uh, and I don't know, maybe that's wrong, but uh, a little over a minute. And um, you're like, well, you know, this is the, there's plenty of time to at least get into field goal range for the kicker who is having, you know, a moment. Um, in, you know, Spencer Schrader really not in that full groove yet and missed another makeable one, but he had made the previous one from 45. So you're thinking, yeah, this is this is setting up for that. Um, and then I, I just you asked how, you know, some of the things behind the the obvious um, mm-hmm. after Tobias Merriweather 
Ugh. with a, just a, a horrendous uh, decision to push off there when all you have to do is go up and that was, and literally that was right in front of us on that yeah. sideline where where he all if he uses his size he makes the catch but he pushes the defensive back right in the back and you could see the the flag come out and then not only does he push the guy in the back he, he doesn't even make the catch so what maybe he was a little more he was a little more preoccupied with making sure the guy got separation than than catching the ball Catch the ball and don't push in the back. Tobias Merriweather again. That that looked like a drive killer at that point. So now they're back to their own forty-four mm-hmm. with first and twenty-five, minute and eleven to go. And this is where, um, without this play, you can say without a number of those plays, mm-hmm. but this was a sneaky important play. Just a little dump down to Estime picks up nine yards and gets you to tw- second and sixteen. Because if you just try to get it all back. In, in one fling there, and now you're looking at second, third, and 25. You know, yeah. That's just desperation. No, Sam Hartman, uh, there's no way he runs for fourth and 25. Yeah, there's, there? there's, there's no first down play if you're fourth and 25. He's not, he's not running for 26 yards there. They had to, they had to chop it up into something uh, manageable, and in a, or at least realistic. And then they call the timeout after that, and uh, they still have a minute and two to go. And uh, the next two plays were not good. Um, <laughs> they uh, they really easily could have been intercepted they on third have. down. That was a diving number twenty three for Duke in my notes. Uh, had that uh, in his hands and uh, and dropped it. So Sam Hartman has an interception free streak. That uh, you know it's something we're charting goes back to the Gasparilla Bowl. And um, you just want to say Gasparilla? I, lo- I love saying that. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know it, it it's it's almost one of those where he's going to a place now in Louisville where he had the nightmare of all quarters. He had a quarter there where he had multiple pick sixes, multiple strip sack lost fumbles. I believe he turned it over personally five times in that, in that quarter. And I might be six. And, and that was just uh, last year. So he's got some, uh, some correction to do on that. He's got some demons to chase. And I, I would expect that to happen, but to get out of, uh, to get out of Durham with, with the win there, um, was uh, it, it, yeah, you're you're still stunned by it, and the um, Duke was just too sound. That's the other thing. I mean, it, Mike Elko's got something going on there. It's a it's a defense that had taken control of that. You know, Notre Dame failed on ten straight third down conversions, and of course they did come through on fourth and sixteen. But so they owned fourth down in on the night, but third down just just flummoxed, and. Um, I, I, for the life of me, I, I don't know how um, that that amount of uh, real estate was available to a guy who's not uh, going to win any sprint championships at the combine. When they when they run all the quarterbacks at the combine, you know, next next spring, um, you know, it, it, there's no way he matches whatever time. Well, of course, he, you know, from the minute he did his last pump fake and then boom, he he dug deep and there was there was a lot more going on there. Um, than just a fourth and sixteen. If you're a Notre Dame follower right now, and then Notre Dame five and one halfway through the season, going to Louisville on Saturday night, if you follow this program, are you more concerned about what the offense hasn't done the last couple of weeks, or are you more impressed about what the defense has done the last couple of weeks? Well, you know, it's it's all kind of uh, uh, open to interpretation. It's it's all are you going to be half full or half empty um, on it? A gen- in life, I try to be. Glass half full. I think in, in what we do, uh, trying to, to uh, answer questions like that, I think it's you're kind of always going to come across as half empty because otherwise you're just being Pollyanna. 
Um, I'm going full. I'm, I'm more impressed with what the defense has done. Like, Notre Dame playing offensively, what they haven't been able to do, they've gone against two really good defenses. And they're not going to score 40 points a game like they did earlier in the sure. season. And for what this defense, what this defense might have been or what they are now, I didn't see this coming from Al Golden's group as far as what Howard Cross has been able to do. Uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste has, been, has played really well. They've got a lot of good pieces defensively. The offense will take care of itself and maybe take care of itself this weekend. You know, the, the uh, pushback on that would be, yeah, I'm re- I am very impressed at overall at what the defense has been able to do, and, and especially for the most part in the red zone. But then there's been three uh, letdowns in the second half. Uh, they've, they, they've certainly tried to rotate more at Duke to get more of the backups snaps, but then even some of the guys, Jaden Mickey's uh, had another a rough moment there. Yeah. As soon as he comes in the game, he got picked on and gave up a – 26 yard pass down the field. I mean, if you've got a, your depth is only as useful and he's not the only one who's had moments of, of struggle, but he hasn't been used much. And so, and then really, you use them in the fourth quarter, the way they do that was, did, it, did was Al, it was abrupt. It, no, he didn't. It didn't come up. They about, didn't talk about that without, uh, you know, they, in the snap counts, um, there was more rotation, certainly on the defensive line by far than we had seen against Ohio state. They really rode, the starters against Ohio State mm-hmm. to the detriment of the final march to uh, to defeat there, and of course um, this time got a lot more uh, people out there uh, of the seventy total snaps. I and mean, Burchand played every snap, and and that's important that his effort doesn't go. I mean, he had about ten tackles as well. Got it got overshadowed by Howard Cross's uh, Herculean effort, but uh, with a sinus infection, you know. So that was that was Jordan stuff, but. Ben Morrison played 65 snaps. Uh, DJ Brown uh, played 69 snaps. Um, you know, missed a few tackles, but he was out there. Watts was 68. But then on the D line, they did get uh, nine different guys rotated through there, and I think that was important. But um, they still gave up touchdown drives in the uh, you know down the stretch of of 80 yards, um, and they gave up one of. Uh, you know, 75. And so those were, those were second half marches where uh, Notre Dame has control of that game and a defense that wants to talks in terms of how to be a great defense, wants to be a great defense needs to just continue to, to put the foot on the throat and, and, uh, and not allow those. So there were some breakdowns. Um, uh, Duke was, uh, you know, gonna it, it was gonna it, unthinkable that they keep them off the board entirely, but they gave up, they went from 13, nothing control, total control of the game to now having to dig it out of uh, the dirt. That puts a bow on consecutive regular season victory number 30 in the Atlantic Coast Conference for Notre Dame. 5-1, and one. moving on to Louisville. We'll discuss Louisville before we get to Louisville. We have a special guest coming up, Notre Dame fan, former Major League Baseball manager Dave Trampley joins us for a conversation. I hope you'll enjoy it. That's coming up right now. We'll be back after our talk with Dave Trampley. Back on this edition of Pot of Gold from the WNDU Studios, your home for Countdown to Kickoff. He is Mike Berardino. I am Tom Noy, and we are pleased to be joined by a former Major League Manager and Notre Dame fanatic, safe to say. Look at the shirt. He even put on a special shirt today. <laughs> Dave Trembley joining the show, longtime emailer with me, whether it's about Marcus Freeman, whether it's about Mike Bray, or about the Notre Dame baseball team. Likes loves everything about Notre Dame. Joining us from beautiful Daytona Beach Shores, Florida, 
where it's a little nicer there today than it is up here. Dave, great to see you. It's a pleasure to be on, and uh, I really appreciate you guys asking me to do this. It's uh, it's going to be a thrill. Okay, so how does a guy from that grew up north of Syracuse become a Notre Dame fan? Well, I can tell you, yeah, I grew up about 110 miles from uh, Syracuse up on uh, the northern New York on the St. Lawrence River. Uh, I think when I was about 9 or 10 years old, there was a game of the week on the radio, and it was on the Mutual Sports Network, and the announcer was Van Patrick, and uh, that's how I first started listening to Notre Dame football um, and have followed them ever since. I have been a fan of Notre Dame, and I've met so many people, coaches, players, administrators uh, over the years, uh, and I've just something that I've followed uh, for over 60 years now. Okay, you say you're a fan, but the last two weeks, Ohio State, do going down to the wire – do you watch those games more as a fan or a coach as to kind of going through a checklist of, oh, if, if, maybe if I was doing this, maybe, maybe he's going to do this. Like, how do, you, how do you watch it, as a fan or a coach? I watch it as a fan um, and, and, and try to be very supportive of knowing what it must be like, um, you know, at that level. You know, a lot of pressure, a lot of tradition, a lot of history. Every play is really important. But I watch it as a fan. And, and try to be real positive about, uh, you know, the outcome all the time. I think Notre Dame is, um, you know, a real special place and got their priorities in order. But I watch it as a fan. I don't I don't second guess. Hey, Dave, uh, I wonder uh, how many games do you think you've been to Notre Dame football with your schedule over the years? It had to have been difficult. But how many, what's been the, maybe a couple of stories about your favorite uh, in-person moments? Well, probably one of my favorite ones was on the road at Pittsburgh. Uh, and I saw the Rocket run back a couple of kickoffs. It was a night game. I, I went up there. Uh, it was just electric. You know, Rocket was from, I think, right outside of Scranton. Mm-hmm. It was a big crowd. I enjoyed that. I lived in Southern California for a long time. I remember a heartbreaker. Uh, Notre Dame losing a game to Southern Cal. I think it was in the late 70s. Uh on the phantom touchdown where they fumbled the ball on the three yard line the next day on the front page of the LA times, they, they had the football circled and showed that the, the Southern Cal uh, tailback didn't cross the line. Uh, you know, I've been to Notre Dame stadium when, when they've won some real close games and it, I've been to Tennessee on the road where the fans weren't exactly had or shirt on. Uh, been to a lot of bowl games, especially uh, here in Florida. Uh, the the game where they beat LSU a couple of years ago at the Citrus Bowl was just really exciting. I enjoyed that one. But I've just got great memories of, of watching Notre Dame football in person, on TV, listening to the games on the radio for a long time. What's easier, managing in the major leagues or watching Notre Dame play the games that they played against like Ohio State and Duke where it's down to the wire? I tell you, uh, you know, sitting in that dugout when times get a little bit tough, like they did against Ohio State, you'd get up and you go to the water cooler and uh, <laughs> I take a deep breath. I pace back and forth. Uh, you know, I have a room with a TV. I turn my phone off uh, and I watch the games and it is nerve wracking uh, for me to watch Notre Dame football, especially when it comes down to, 
you know, the kind of situation we had the last two weekends. Baseball people in general are incredibly superstitious. Are you superstitious? And as a Notre Dame uh, watcher and super fan, do you have a lucky spot? Do you, uh, how, how does your superstition, if it exists, come into play in your fandom? Yeah, I sure do. I've got some, uh, I've got quite a bit of, of Notre Dame memorabilia. And, uh, you know, I got some things that I do before the game. I got a touch. Uh, <laughs> I got a touch the sign. I got that hanging up in the room <laughs> over here in the corner, play like a champion today. Uh, I've got a Notre Dame football that signed from the 66 national championship team with uh, Coach Parsegian and all the players. I get my media guides out, uh, my rosters out. <laughs> I, I got them with me, and I, uh, I close the door, and I watch the game. And, uh, you know, I just watch the game, and I pace back and forth at halftime, and hopefully it, it ends up in a real positive way for the Irish. You watch the game like that at your house, but what what are you like at the stadium? Are you are, are, are there times where you have to leave your seat and walk around the concourse because you get a little too nervous about everything? No, I like to sit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I go to, when I go to Notre Dame, I like to sit there and watch it because I think um, you know the atmosphere there is so electric. Uh, I don't want to miss anything, and you know, you just kind of take it all in. It's it's such a wonderful atmosphere in such a great place i mean when you walk up the quad all the students are so hospitable everybody is so nice uh you know the it's just a unique unique place and dave uh, there's uh, when i think of uh baseball people that i've come across over the years who are big notre dame fans um i think of gene watson uh who was uh just joined the uh went from the royals to the white Sox, and gene was just on campus recently um uh leo mazzoni i think was mm-hmm. a big notre dame fan sam perlazzo right sam perlazzo uh from your orioles days as well um i think he was recruited as a running back here once he told me but um who else uh is out there that maybe doesn't get uh that we don't know about that's out there in the baseball world uh, who just lives and dies uh, with the Notre Dame football Saturday? Well, you know, Leo was my pitching coach my uh, my first huh. year when I managed the Orioles, and Leo and I would have some great conversations. And I guarantee, in September every Saturday, Leo and I would would wear Notre Dame shirts into the clubhouse, <laughs> home and and uh, you know it, it would be something. But I, I've run across uh, uh, quite a few people. You know, in in the in the business world, I know when I was with uh, with the Cubs and then with the Orioles, Andy McPhail was uh, was a big Notre Dame guy because Mr. McKenna, who had been the CEO and president of the Cubs, was a was a Notre Dame guy. Um, I can't think of too many other people that I've known uh, in the sports world that are that are real Notre Dame advocates. I know a lot of people that are not. You know, I met Bob Greasy when we were trained down in Fort Lauderdale. And, uh, you know, Bob broke our heart a lot being at Purdue. And him and I would chat. Charlie Ward at Florida State. I know Charlie pretty good. Uh, I've met a lot of people on the other side. A lot of SC people when I lived in Southern California that were uh, a lot of anti-Notre Dame people, to be honest with you. but those of us that are that are Notre Dame diehards, we we've stuck together. 
Did Leo used to rock when he was your pitching coach, or did he just do that when he was with the Braves? No, Leo did it. That was Leo's. That was Leo's uh, mo. Yeah, he rocked and um, was an exceptional uh, pitching mind. Uh, I, I enjoyed being with Leo. Real nice person. Hey Dave, what what do you make of uh, what 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 do you see on television or in, even in the stadium with Marcus Freeman on the sideline? The what is it like? Because you know what it's like to have that camera in your face, uh, or you know it's there uh, f- for three straight hours, and everyone just uh, parsing every every expression, every wince, every uh, outburst, whatever. And then you know it, it seems like the the leader of the sports. Situation uh, can't win. You're either too cool or or too hot headed or whatever. What what, do you, what was your approach to it? What is that like? And and what do you make of the way Marcus Freeman is in year two with that that spotlight? I think he's gotten better this year. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I, I learned this a long time ago um, when I was in the Cubs organization. Lou Pinella. Uh, Jim Riggleman, they were the managers, and I was a minor league manager, and they told me, they said, when you get to the big leagues, I want you to understand that that TV camera is going to be on you all the time. So remember that uh, your family, your wife, your mother, people at home are going to see you. So you have to look like you're a salesman at Sears and Roebuck. (laughs) Uh, You really can't show a lot of expression. When things get really tense, get up and go to the water cooler, et cetera. I think what, what I've liked about Coach Freeman this year versus last year, I think he's a little bit more proactive on the sideline. I think he sticks up for his team a little bit better, uh, especially with the officials. Um, I, w- I will say that, and I made this comment uh, to somebody in the media because I was asked after the Duke game, um, you know, some of the body language on the sideline against Duke, I think you got to be careful because your players, and especially the players of today's age, the players of today's age, uh, they react to, to how the coach is, how the manager is, how their, how their staff is. I think, um, so you gotta be careful, but I think he's gotten a lot better. I think he's got more control of the game. I think, um, his eyes and his body language, his demeanor, uh, looks like he's more comfortable and more in charge. I think, and that comes with, let's be honest, it's, um, I've used this term before. Notre Dame is a tough place uh, when you don't have any experience as a head coach. It's almost like your student teaching. If you look back at the the bowl game when we played Oklahoma State, uh, I thought there was some panic there on Mm -hmm. the sideline. And I thought if you looked at Gundy over on the other side, he'd been there and done that before, and he was really cool. And um, I think Coach Freeman learned from that. He's gotten better. You talked about not having any experience. What would it be like in relation to uh, playing in in the major leagues? Would it be like you going from the minor leagues and coaching your first time in in Major League Baseball at Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park? Oh, I, I think absolutely. I mean, I would. You know, I spent twenty years uh, managing in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. and um, I think that prepares you for just about every situation that can occur. But when you get to the big leagues and you're in Yankee Stadium or Fenway Park and it's the eighth inning, it's a one-run game, um, you know, the tension in that dugout is is something else. Um, 
I just can't imagine the pressure at Notre Dame when you've not been a head coach before, and now all of a sudden you're that. The only way you're going to learn is through game experience. You can't practice that. You can't simulate that in a blue and gold game. You can't simulate that in practice. I think that comes with game experience. And in year two, I will say, I think Coach Freeman has gotten a lot better, a lot better. And I think he is uh, got the right idea. He's a tremendous recruiter. He's got great people skills. The players respond to him. Uh, I think he's taken uh, a more hands-on approach in running the game, being accessible to the media. I think he's when things don't go right, he doesn't sugarcoat it. He takes responsibility for it. But let's be honest. That's uh, you know they once said the three toughest positions in the world was managing the New York Yankees, being the Pope, and being the head coach at Notre Dame, <laughs> and, and not uh, necessarily in that order too. <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, there's a lot of us who never went to Notre Dame and that so-called Subway alumni. Uh, we live and die with the Irish every week, and you know we expect to win. And uh, I think the weight of that is on the on the guy in the sideline. Okay, so maybe it was in the Carolina League or the Eastern League or somewhere in the Southern League, somewhere in your minor league career. Did you ever have the ten man incident like in relation, like Marcus Freeman? Like you forgot to, you, 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 there was some <laughs> baseball situation where you're like, all right, that happened there, and I'm glad it happened there because when I work my way up to the major leagues. I'll be a better manager for this. Yeah, I can tell you in 1994, I'm managing in the Southern League mm -hmm. for the Orlando Cubs. And, uh, you know, the closest bus trip was Jacksonville, which is two hours and 45 minutes away. Every other place was a minimum of 10 and a maximum of 16. To go to Memphis was a 16-hour bus ride. I remember being in Knoxville early. This was 1994, and I had already managed maybe 10 years in the minor leagues. And... Um, in those days, you just had a manager and a pitching coach. That's all you had. Now in the minor leagues, you got four or five coaches. You got all. You got a lot of different people. Uh, and we're playing in Knoxville against the Blue Jays, and uh, we're getting beat. My starting pitcher's not doing real well, and I had my pitching coach go out in the third inning to make a trip uh, to talk to him, try to settle him down. Well, he gave up three more, and I didn't have anybody warming up in the bullpen. I remember this as clear as day. I didn't have anybody warming up in a bullpen because it was the third inning, and we had just come off a 11-hour bus ride, I think, from Birmingham or someplace. And uh, he had given up three more hits. Well, I went out to the mound again to talk to him. Well, I made two trips in the same inning. <laughs> and I turn around and walk him back in the dugout, and the home plate umpire <laughs> comes up to me, and he goes, hey, Dave, that's your second trip. you got to put somebody in. And I looked, and I said, I forgot that the pitching <laughs> coach had already gone out there. So I had to bring somebody in, and, you know, he only got eight warm-ups and he had to face the guy, and that never happened again, I can tell you that. Well, you know, between that or double switches that uh, or, you know, incorrect lineup cards, I mean, there's, it, it's just a landmine every day in baseball. And mm -hmm. like you say, you're often coming off a long road trip or a long bus trip in the minors. Dave, what about, you know, a lot of talk lately – uh, even in football, about analytics in terms of uh, the proper mix of going by the numbers, go, uh, trusting your instincts and your experience. And, of course, this comes up with Marcus Freeman. And, and I don't think there's any aspect of modern sports that doesn't have that push-pull uh, between analytics and, and, and just gut instinct. Um, how have you seen it? How, how, where is it now 
where should it be comfortably for the leader of a sports uh, entity? The on-field leader. Yeah, I think the key word is balance. You know, one of the first times from uh, in, in college football, I think Coach Kelly, in one of his uh, one of his press conferences after the game, I think it was a fourth down and one or something, and it was early in the game, and, and he ended up going for it. And in his press conference after the game, he alluded to the fact that the analytics said that yes, you should go for it at that point in time. And that's the first time I ever heard that was happening in college football. I know when I managed in the, in the big leagues, Tony La Russa, the Hall of Fame manager with the Cardinals, and Jim Leland, a, a very good friend of mine and a longtime minor league manager and at some point in time will be in the Hall of Fame, told me that analytics is coming to baseball. But he said, you're going to have to have the answers to the questions when people ask you about why would you put this guy in, why would you do this? Why'd you do that? Based upon what you see in your gut. You make decisions on your gut and what you see in the makeup of the player and the situation. But the numbers are there in all the sports now to make decisions. I mean, you look at the you look at Tampa. Tampa's got a coach, a little guy that stands next to Kevin Cash all the time, and he's a decision making scientist. And he's always kind of prompting Cash on Hey, maybe you should hit and run here. Maybe you should take the pitcher out here. Maybe you should steal here. Maybe you should do that. Uh, I think sometimes, and Aaron Judge has alluded to this with the Yankees, which I'm glad. I think sometimes you get oversaturated with the numbers, and uh, you can short-circuit yourself and second-guess yourself. So I think, um, you know, you can get all that information and use it, but it really comes down to you got to know the player, you got to know the situation. You got to coach. You got to coach based upon what you see and what you feel. What would have been your reaction had Audric Estime taken a knee on the one yard line the other day? Because that's what Marcus Freeman wanted him to do, and the analytics said to do. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think at that point in time the analytics was correct. I think you score the points there uh, because you have a now. If it was. Uh, you know, like sometimes you do something on third down. Uh, you may try a field goal on third down so that if it's a fumbled snap or a penalty or something, you still have the fourth down to kick it. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't have not taken a chance doing that. Uh, to me, I equate it to like if I'm ahead by two runs or three runs and, you know, I'm coaching third base and I coach third base in the big leagues. If I got a chance to score that guy, I'm going to score. I'm not going to hold him up and, you know, make the pitcher throw more pitches to see if maybe I can get that guy out and get in their bullpen. So um, I, I'm glad number seven went in the end zone. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can get too cute in, in any sport and, uh, and yeah, just keep it simple. Um, you know, uh, talking about Dave Trembley, former Orioles manager, longtime uh, baseball man in a variety of roles, uh, running a minor league system and around uh, some of the most successful Modern entities, you kind of pointed, helped uh, point the Astros in the right direction, the Braves in the right direction, and and uh, they may be doing it again here. But I want to I want to ask you know uh, I'd forgotten this, but uh, this jumps out at me because of the score. Uh, you're one of the few people because of your Notre Dame fandom to distinctly remember both the Cotton Bowl loss in in 2018 to Clemson that was 30 to three, and then as a major league manager for all your wins. 
And on one of the best days of your career, according to Wikipedia, is telling me, you know, you get it, you get uh, made the go from interim to full time manager, and then they go out and lose thirty to three, thirty to three in baseball. Anything can happen. <laughs> what compare those two? You, you've been on, you've had both of those. Well, I tell you, Mike, every year about that time, and uh, I get a phone call from from one of the major uh, networks or one of the major media outlets, and and they want to. They want to replay that. I can tell you, Leo was my pitching coach. Then. Oh, We're playing a doubleheader. Ron Marston was the manager of Texas. And, uh, you know, the day before, Andy McPhail had told me, we're going to have a press conference in a couple of days. We're going to invite your wife up from Florida, and we're going to have a thing over in the warehouse. And we're going to announce that we're going to extend your contract and make you, uh, you know, the, the a full-time manager here, take the interim tag off you. And, you know, there was a nice luncheon and nice press conferences and that. And we got to play. And I'll never forget, Daniel Cabrera was my starting pitcher. And I got to like five to one, I think, in the sixth inning. And he couldn't get anybody out. And uh, so I brought in, uh, you know, relievers. Well, we ended up we ended up giving up 26 runs, 28 runs out of the bullpen. And we had to play the second game with a doubleheader. And, uh you know, Wash wasn't trying to run it up. They were holding guys up at third. There were guys that had career days. Metcalf, I think, was playing third base. He had two or three home runs. He probably didn't hit five more home runs in his rest of his career. Um, in between games, you know, I got to face the media, and the first guy asked me a question. He says, what are you going to tell your team? I'm going to tell them to have a short memory. We got to go and get ready and play the second game. Uh, we lost nine in a row after that. It, it just, uh, you know, the wheels came off the wagon and we lost nine games in a row before we broke that streak. And, uh, you know, you had to do the media thing every day before the game and after the game and go on, you know, sports talk shows. And you, you tried not to let it show and tried not to let it get to you. But um, I'd be lying to you if I, tell, if I told you I said it was, it was okay. You know, I tell the story. People say, "Dave, it doesn't look like you got any sleep," and I'd say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm sleeping real well. I'm sleeping like a baby. I'm getting up every hour on the hour, crying my eyes out." You know, when you get beat thirty to three, it's not easy. And um, you know, I remember the Notre Dame Southern Cal game when, when uh, you know, the guy ran back and scored six touchdowns against us. I didn't sleep real well that night, and I was a kid, so. Uh, Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, yeah. And, you know, they're running that white horse around the Coliseum and really sticking <laughs> it to us. I remember, when, you know, when Miami and uh, Jimmy Johnson ran the score up on Jerry Faust, that wasn't a whole – that wasn't fun for Coach Faust, I'm sure, that next day. So uh, I can relate to what it feels like. It's not not pleasant. Dave, baseball playoffs started on Tuesday, the best part, time of year if you're a baseball fan. What do you miss about the majors? Uh I miss the competition. Mm -hmm. I miss watching the the, uh, the best players make it look easy. I can tell you that the, the, the best players, they make it look easy. The play Longoria made last night, you know, they're, they're raving about it. That That's that's routine for these guys. Yeah. Um, you know, when guys hit the ball 440 feet and, you know, uh, throw the ball at Wheeler last night, just dotting it on the corner, uh, those guys are so good. And, and make the game look so easy, but it is so competitive, each pitch. And the way these guys bear down, um, their focus is is phenomenal. 
You know, you watched the Twins yesterday, and I'm sure, Mike, you know, you remember this. Oh, yeah. the, the, the fans in Minnesota, they love their team. Um, I, I thought the fans, you know, really got behind their team yesterday. You missed the atmosphere of, of being with the best. These guys are the best, and uh, to do it every day is, uh, is very special. How about the Carlos Correa play? They're already, you know, I don't. They're already comparing it to the Jeter uh, oh, yeah. flip in mm-hmm. in Oakland. To the to just the the awareness, and then of course a perfect throw. Yeah, no, it's 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 a uh, it's a it's ballet, right? It's it's a high high level uh, uh, body control and my, and just concentration. And no, it's uh, you, you had a front row seat all those years. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, you know. It, you know, we played the last game in the old Yankee Stadium, and uh, a couple of weeks ago it was the 15th anniversary of that game. And you know, I got a couple of phone calls because the game was on the, you know, the Yes Network, and I got the MLB package down here. I can remember that like yesterday. It was September 21st, 2008, and uh, I remember after the game, uh, Whitey Ford and Don Larson went out to the mound with coffee cups and scooped up dirt from from there, and they dug up home plate and gave it to Derek Jeter. And you know, before the game, all the old Yankee guys in uniform would run out to their position, and the last guy who came out in the old flannel pinstripes was Yogi Berra, number eight behind home plate. I'm standing there, and I'm going, "Oh my goodness, how did this happen?" But um, just to be around and see those guys and be a part of it. Um, you know, it's stuff you dream about when you're a kid. It's it's very similar um, to my to my love for Notre Dame football. Um, you know, I can remember uh, all the heartbreaks, and I can remember you know the first bowl game when Coach Parsegian brought him to the Cotton Bowl, and um, it's just it's just been fun fun to be a part of. Well, Dave, hopefully this weekend they'll have an easier one against Louisville. Is Notre Dame going down to Louisville five and one? Louisville five and zero night game. So rest up, get some rest. We'll see you up here when you come up for Wake Forest. And really appreciate you taking some time out today. It was great to talk with you. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, thinking of me. It meant a lot to me. And uh, you know, over the years, I've uh, you know, I've been re- been real thankful, Tom. I email you a lot, text you a lot. You always get back to me, and <laughs> and uh, you always give it to me straight, and give me the inside scoop because. Um, you know, I love the Irish, and I love what you guys do. You got it. Keep in touch. We'll, we'll, we'll be in touch down the line. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. Thank you. That's Dave Tremblay, Thanks. Notre Dame fan, former uh, Major League Baseball manager. We'll come back. We'll wrap up this edition of Pot of Gold here at the WNDU Studios right after these messages. Final segment of this edition of Pot of Gold here at the WNDU Studios, your home to countdown to kickoff. Speaking of kickoff, Guess what? Another night game. Another night game on the road. Another night game against a ranked team for Notre Dame football. It never ends. The Irish, now number 10 in the AP poll, will be facing Louisville, number 25 in the AP poll. I think it'll be a little cooler than the last visit that we made to whatever that stadium is called. It was called Papa John Stadium. Now it's like L&N, Bank, Trust, Field, whatever. <laughs> it was about 90 degrees Labor Day Monday night in 2019. Notre Dame gets out of that one with a victory. That was the game where Ian Book threw the uh, pass that went and hit the cheerleader in the nose. You that's remember right. That one? Yeah. Early in the, that's that's my memory of 
What TTP, happened? That's a TTP now. <laughs> that was a TTP. Find that cheerleader. If that's your, if that had happened now, Mike Berardino would be knocking out <laughs> the greatest 400 words of the season right there and filing a story. But that's an, that's for a, di- a discussion for another time. Louisville, Notre Dame. We'll go with predictions. You might even throw an LSU Missouri prediction in there. I don't know. Ooh. What do you What do you have for What do you have <laughs> with Notre Dame and Louisville? Your predictions. Then I'll give my prediction. And then we'll get out of here on this Wednesday. So uh, the subversive in me just wants to call it, and I think I'm just going to write it. I'm just going to I'm just going to call it Howard Schnellenberger Stadium. It, it, it should absolutely be, uh, or maybe Howard and Beverly uh, Schnellenberger, Howard and Beverly uh, Schnellenberger Field at uh, at Papa John Stadium. Uh, that's a word for you. But uh, I, I think uh, it could brought Louisville back to uh, life mm-hmm. decades ago. Um, yeah, I, what did I what did I say to Chuck? Twenty eight seventeen. Twenty eight seventeen. Time twenty eight seventeen so, seems about right. Just some uh, little oddities to it. Um, you know, um, everybody knows about the Brom brothers, but Chip Long. We had Chip Long sighting, and it, he'll probably be up in the in the booth on the headset. But former Notre Dame offensive coordinator at one time considered a you know, a play calling genius, and, yeah. and you know it's all about the horses. But uh, he's he's uh, now after stints at Tulane and Georgia Tech. Uh, he bounces around he, a lot. He's bounced around, and uh, you know it just seems like yesterday he was being spotted down there with Nick Saban uh, having barbecue, <laughs> yeah. and and it, it, Saban uh, it said, "Nope, that's all right." Yeah, and, I think uh, we're good. And sent him back to South Bend, and he's now quality control specialist. Uh, for uh, the Brahms staff there at Louisville, and then Ron English, I had to remind. I thought this was uh, uh, kind of the deal. Ron English is the co-defensive coordinator now. Yes. You talk about a star that had dimmed. I mean, he did uh, when he was at Michigan in '06 and '07. He was defense coordinator for Lloyd Carr's last two teams, uh, C.J. Carr's grandpa, and uh, fine a national championship coach and no, Michigan. Drilled Notre Dame two straight years, 47-21 and 38 nothing, with Ron English as the defense coordinator, the hot commodity, and um, uh, it didn't work out so great at uh, Eastern Michigan. There's uh, something called the, uh, I can't say it on the air, but it's the S-Bird tirade of 2013. You can look that up. And it just shows that, you know, it, and then now he just kind of lost his cool. And now he's... Uh, He's the he's he'll be on the sideline. He pumps his fist a lot over there. He's a high energy guy, but uh, I don't know. He's going to have a whole lot to celebrate uh, facing a Notre Dame team that's um, uh, you know uh, on a on a on a roll. Do you have a prediction? Oh, I think you, I said. Oh, you said twenty eight seven. I, I got twenty eight seventeen. I got lost in the Ron English, uh, Ron English reference. Ron. I wasn't expecting Ron English. Ron. Maybe modern English would be Ron. better. Gentlemen, Ron English. And now Mike's gone into his Howard Schnellenberger I, it's routine. Just, it's just, it can go. Is out. this where we do the headset part again? Are we this picking? Is... Hold on. No. Are we picking? Uh, or, Jerry, who are you picking in that uh, <laughs> LSU Missouri game? Uh, okay, you That's know who I'm game. picking. You know, how, I'm how confident are you? you yeah, t- exactly. This, how confident scale of 1 to 10 on the Brady Quinn scale of 1 to 10, apparently, where he said Notre Dame 10 will defeat Ohio State. What are you uh, with Missouri you know, making Brian Kelly even more miserable? I'm going to give it a 6 because why not? 6. Okay, I can't say 10. I have to act sure like Sure you can. Okay, the funny thing about this game is it reminds me of 2020. Because last week with Ole Miss and LSU, that game was just a firestorm. Everyone was scoring. Ole Miss receivers were wide open. No one could tackle. 
That was the same with 2020 when Bo Pelini couldn't draw up a defense to save his life. Granted, the stadium was empty. It's going to be sold out in Columbia like it will be in Louisville. Uh, don't worry. I can bring this back to Notre Dame at some point. Let's but, go. Um, you know, it's going to be a fun and weird game, and it's going to be kind of awkward, and hopefully <laughs> Brian Kelly loses because that just makes me a very insufferable Missouri fan, and I will be that. I warned everybody ahead of time if we did this, I would, t- I would take this podcast. So here we are. As Logan Diggs, Logan Diggs is alive and 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 piling up stats down there at LSU. But um, so yeah, uh, f- uh, former Notre Dame, uh, uh, I guess uh, running well, back. How would you? Uh, yeah, yeah, just kind of a mercurial. Uh, Malcontent. No, he's he he always good with the media. <laughs> he and, was. Uh, he was. A good, he, he was always good with the media, yep. but he was never good with where he was in the yeah. program. So uh, we hope he finds so, happiness. Absolutely. But I don't. It doesn't seem like anybody's all that happy. And Missouri people, be warned. I don't know the name of the guy, but it's uh, one of those big dudes on LSU. Right. If you go. run on, who is it? Who? Oh. Who oh, just God. shoves that fan to the ground, just clocks him. No, I thought you were talking about the kid from that, Stanford. That yeah. was the old Miss security guard, wasn't it? <laughs> no, that's another one. That's another, <laughs> now that guy. That guy was great. There's an LSU player who was who they 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 ran up on him, oh, that's and he right. just, oh, he just yeah. shoved the kid, and that and that and so Missouri fans, when you set when you rush the field, I'm picking it now. Missouri will win the game, and uh, when you rush the field. Uh, just be aware that apparently that the way they're coaching them up at LSU is is you don't take any guff from any celebrating uh, students uh, on the road. Well, after you know some tough AP poll voting, you know Missouri's actually higher than LSU. Uh, they included Mike Berardino reluctantly. Putting, oh, look at that! Yeah, uh, Missouri. I don't into think number of 25. it that way. The Vegas people have LSU minus six and a half, uh, but we're we're here to talk about Notre Dame. Notre Dame, I'll wrap this up with Notre Dame 31, Louisville 13 from down in Kentucky on Saturday night. The Irish get in, they get out, and they get on with USC. We will do the same in next week's podcast. Until then, this has been your latest pot of gold from your WNDU studios, home of Countdown to Kickoff. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. This is ND Insider's Pot of Gold. Now, with all things Notre Dame football, here's Tom Noy, Mike Berardino, and Austin Huff.